the old pilot's plain tales. How the poppy grew. About this time of the year, I like to do a tale that turns our minds to those who gave their lives for their countries in the many conflicts that have plagued the world. In the past, tales such as In Flanders Fields and Lest We Forget, I've talked about the poppy used as a symbol of remembrance in many countries and the poem penned by the Canadian doctor Lieutenant Colonel John McRae, as he tended the appallingly injured soldiers and pilots of the First World War. In particular, the poem reflects his sadness at burying a close friend, whose body was nearly obliterated by an enemy artillery shell. John would himself die later, from pneumonia and meningitis, probably brought on by the long hours he worked and the conditions he lived under, even as a senior doctor, in the vast tented hospital where he served at Wimaru. James McConnell was an American pilot who had volunteered to fight in the war and was flying with the French Escadrille Lafayette. His vivid description gives us some idea of the destroyed landscape below him as he flew over the 1916 battlefield of Verdun. He describes the front line as a brown belt, a strip of murdered nature. Immediately east and north of Verdun, there lies a broad brown band. Peaceful fields and farms and villages adorned that landscape a few months ago when there was no Battle of Verdun. Now there's only that sinister brown belt, a strip of murdered nature. It seems to belong to another world. Every sign of humanity has been swept away. The woods and roads have vanished like chalk wiped from a blackboard. Of the villages, nothing remains but gray smears where stone walls have tumbled together. On the brown band, the indentations are so closely interlocked that they blend into a confused mass of troubled earth. Of the trenches, only broken, half-obliterated links are visible. There was a gap in my story, however, that I would now like to close. The gap that transformed the sad words of John McRae's poem into the adoption of the poppy as a representation of remembrance for the fallen, amongst such a large part of the English-speaking world and beyond. I realise that the red poppy that I will wear from now until after our Remembrance Day on the 11th of November isn't a common sight in the United States of America, but it wasn't always that way. Indeed, we can thank a fine American lady of Walton County in Georgia for lighting the spark that grew into a fire in the hearts of so many who have served or been affected by loss from war, even if that fire is seen in different ways amongst our American friends over the ocean. The lady in question was Moina Bell Michael, born back in 1869, in the town of Good Hope. Part of a large family, her father was a Confederate veteran of the American Civil War 
and related to General Francis Marion. On her mother's side, she came from the Wise family of Virginia State Governors, and although she hailed from one of the wealthy cotton plantation owners, the South had experienced economic problems with low cotton prices and high taxes. Well educated, at the age of only 15, she became a teacher in Monroe, and with the plantation gone, for a while she became the sole breadwinner for the family. She was, though, determined to continue her learning and eventually studied at the Columbia University in New York. She was in Germany when the First World War broke out in 1914, and she travelled to Rome and then back to the USA, but not before assisting around 12,000 fellow Americans seek passage back across the Atlantic. She helped to set up an American committee to work with the embassy in Rome to help fellow countrymen stranded by the conflict to gain passage home. She herself would return later on the Cunard line ship Carpathia, a ship that would become famous for coming to the rescue of survivors from the Titanic and for being torpedoed and sunk by a German U-boat in 1918. Safely back in the United States, by the time the U.S. had joined the First World War, she'd become a professor teaching at the University of Georgia, but she took a leave of absence to assist in the training of overseas Young Women's Christian Association war workers. It was while she was engaged in her war work that she first heard the poem In Flanders Fields. I've already told this story in detail, but some things are worth repeating. In Flanders Field continued McRae's preoccupation with death and how it represents the transition between the struggle for life and the peace that follows. It is written from the point of view of the dead and speaks of their sacrifice as well as their command from beyond the grave for the living to press on. As with many of the most popular works from the First World War, it was written early in the conflict, before the romanticism of that dreadful war had turned into bitterness and disillusion for soldiers and civilians alike. When the poem was published, McRae received many letters and telegrams praising his work, and it was republished throughout the world, becoming synonymous with the sacrifice of those who had died. It was translated into numerous languages, so many that McRae himself quipped, It only needs Chinese now, surely. Its appeal was nearly universal. Soldiers took encouragement from it as a statement of their duty to those who died, whilst people on the home front viewed it as defining the cause for which their brothers, sons and fathers were fighting. Back in New York, Moyna Michael was in the gloomy place in Hamilton Hall called Germot Room and was taking part in a YWCA conference. A young soldier had placed a journal on her desk and when she found time to read it, she discovered a marked page which carried two of McRae's poems, including In Flanders Fields. She read the poem many times. 
In Flanders' fields the poppies blow, Between the crosses, row on row, That mark our place, And in the sky the larks still bravely singing fly, Scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead, Short days ago we lived, Felt dawn, saw sunset glow, Loved and were loved, And now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe, To you from failing hands we throw the torch, Be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, We shall not sleep, Though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. And in a moment of intense resolve she pledged, in the words of the poem, to keep the faith. She turned to the back of a used yellow envelope and hastily penned her pledge to all who had died and to always wear a red poppy as a sign of remembrance and as an emblem of her pledge. Oh, you who sleep in Flanders' fields, sleep sweet to rise anew. We caught the torch you threw, and holding high we keep the faith with all who died. We cherish to the poppy red that grows on fields where valour led. It seems to signal to the skies that blood of heroes never dies but lends a lustre to the red of the flower that blooms above the dead in Flanders' fields. And now the torch and poppy red we wear in honour of our dead. Fear not that ye have died for naught, we'll teach the lesson that ye wrought in Flanders' fields. She searched New York for red poppies and eventually returned with a large one for a vase on her desk and small ones, like the four-petaled one that now adorned her collar. Earlier, she had met some soldiers who came by and she had passed on a crazed poem to them. Now they returned and begged for poppies to wear until she had no more. After the war, Moina was back in university teaching a class of disabled servicemen, when she realised that there was a great need for support for such men, and she decided to pursue the idea of selling silk poppies as a means of raising funds for disabled veterans. In 1921, her efforts resulted in the poppy being adopted as a symbol of remembrance by the Georgia's branch of the American Legion, its auxiliary, and soon after, the National American Legion. Her efforts didn't go unnoticed across the Atlantic, and the French teacher, Madame Anna Guerin, a well-known touring lecturer and fundraiser who split her time during the First World War between the United States of America and France, had come to the same idea, and their combined efforts introduced the poppy to many nations. 
Anna returned to France determined to sell poppies, to raise money for war orphans, and in 1921 sent poppy sellers to London ahead of Armistice Day, which caught the attention of Field Marshal Douglas Haig, one of the founders of the Royal British Legion. Haig supported and encouraged the sale of poppies throughout the British Empire, and to this day, in many of the Commonwealth nations, the symbol of the poppy still flourishes. In 1922, the Disabled Society, a charity established by Major George Howson, MC, and Major Jack Cohen, both campaigners for disabled servicemen, with a generous grant from the British Legion, acquired an old collar factory on the Old Kent Road and turned it into the first poppy factory. When Howson wrote to his parents, he said, I do not think this will be a great success, but it's worth trying. I consider the attempt ought to be made, if only to give the disabled their chance. Soon he was employing fifty disabled veterans, and they were soon making poppies by the million. When the Prince of Wales toured the place in 1924, it was the year that they made 27 million poppies within two months, every poppy assembled by hand. The old place became too small, so they moved to a disused brewery in Richmond, Surrey, with room to house the workforce and their families on adjacent land. To this day, the factory employs disabled veterans and disabled dependents of ex-service personnel. They employ hundreds of men and women with health conditions and impairment. The Poppy Factory also provides teams of regional employment consultants to work with veterans in their communities to provide career guidance, CV advice, interview coaching, opportunities with local employers and information about funding and training resources. In Scotland, there's an equivalent charity known as Lady Haig's Poppy Factory. Nowadays, the wearing of the poppy in the United States is not common. The 11th of November is Veterans Day, a name that superseded Armistice Day to encompass more than just the First World War. It's a holiday which gives everyone a chance to honour all veterans. It's a celebration to reward them for their patriotism, love of country, and willingness to serve and sacrifice for the common good. Although the poppy isn't widely seen as a symbol, it's still recognised by the American Legion and worn by many members on National Poppy Day the Friday before Memorial Day, towards the end of May. The Legion encourages anyone to honour the country's fallen by wearing a red poppy and to donate to support the American Legion's fine works. In addition, the VFW, Veterans of Foreign Wars organisation, promotes the wearing of a buddy poppy to show support for the veterans of war's who fought on foreign soil. In Britain and many Commonwealth countries, support for the wearing of a poppy for remembrance is almost universal, and the generous donations that are made to the Royal British Legion 
go a long way to assisting those who have served and are in need. This culminates in the annual Festival of Remembrance in the Royal Albert Hall on the Sunday before Remembrance Sunday, when current military units display choral works are performed and representatives of many uniformed organisations and worthy groups such as bereaved wives parade in the heart of the hall. During the final service, in absolute silence, a multitude of poppy petals gently descend from above to settle on the shoulders of those below to represent the millions of fallen from all British conflicts. On Remembrance Sunday itself, in every city, town and village, representatives will assemble at 11 o'clock to lay poppy wreaths and pay their respects to the fallen of all wars. But what of Moina Bell Michael? She became known as the Poppy Lady, for her humanitarian efforts and would receive numerous worthy medals and awards during her lifetime. She would become a daughter of the American Revolution and the United Daughters of the Confederacy. She was named a distinguished citizen of Georgia and a marble bust of her placed in the rotunda of the state capital in Atlanta, Georgia. A Second World War Liberty ship was named after her and the U.S. Post Office produced a commemorative stamp to honour her. In 1999, Moina was commended by the Organization of Georgia Women of Achievement in recognition of her work to create the poppy as a symbol of remembrance and, should you drive the highway number 79 between Athens and Monroe, you will be travelling on the Moina Michael Highway. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us at airlinepilotguy.com. And if you're listening to this, you probably already know that Plain Tales is its own standalone podcast. It'd help us a lot if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. And this week again, my enormous thanks to voiceover artist Greg Willits for his assistance in the making of this tale. He's available at gregwillits.com.